before we enter our time uh, in the Word, let's let's uh, let's go to God again in prayer. Father, I I reach out to you for help um, on behalf of our congregation. These are, uh, as we've been saying, these are unique times. There really aren't words to describe them, and uh, we shouldn't necessarily search to find words for them, Lord. We we come before you and we join the psalmists uh, when they lament. God, there are people in our world, there are people in our country, there are people in our state, there are people in our town that are hurting, that are sick, there are those that are dying. God, we reach for you now and say, please help. Please minister to these people. God, these are things that are difficult. There are things that are hard to understand. But we find our anchor in the goodness and the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. We find, the, we, we, we find our anchor in the truth of who you are, God, and we stand on it. We know what you're like because your word has told us. We rely upon you. And we exalt you as the God who is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the kind of God you are. And that's all we need to know. And so we trust in you. And we yield this time to you now, God, as we look to your word to remember once again who you are, to remember what your word says about you. Open up our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, to be able to hear, to be able to see, to be able to know you more and more. God, create a hunger in us as we examine your word again. In Christ's name, amen. what it must have been like to be Jesus Christ on that Sunday, on that Palm Sunday. He knew what was to come. The cross was awaiting him. And as usual, the Jews misunderstood. They thought that they were ushering in their next ruler, their next general to take back the throne of Israel forever. But Jesus, the Lion of Judah, knew what they did not know. He knew that this was a parade of death, that the crowd that declared Hosanna in the highest would soon be shouting, crucify him. Betrayal was in the air, and Jesus, the Lamb of God, embraced it. But Friday's cross would not stand alone. Jesus entered Jerusalem knowing what would follow, See, soon after the, that Friday of terror would come a Sunday of victory. The Son of God who endured death would soon overcome it. And on the third day, the crucified King would rise. O risen Christ, taking sin, you died. Conquering death, saying mine, O risen Christ. Brothers and sisters, Easter is upon us. And what an exciting time it is. 
As we continue in our foretold series, we explore another Old Testament text that speaks of our Messiah. Remember Paul's words that we shared last week, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. You see this in your notes. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Last week, we considered the sufferings of Christ foretold by the prophet Zechariah. And we could go to several more places to find suffering and death prophecies. But let me ask this one again. What about the resurrection? Which passages does Paul have in mind when he speaks of a Messiah rising on the third day? Where does he get that? Where does he get that specific thought? Even Not that just he would just rise, but he would rise again on the third day. Where does he get that? Well, perhaps the clearest place is in the prophet Hosea. The prophet Hosea. If you have a Bible, let's turn to Hosea chapter 6. Hosea chapter 6. Like all of the minor prophets, Hosea comes to us in a troubling time for Israel. Up to this point, the nation's territories had expanded. The economy had been booming. The religious traditions were still intact. But things were beginning to change for a few generations now. Though prosperity had remained for a little while, enemies were getting closer and closer, and they were beginning to conquer the land. And Hosea tells us why. He tells us why these bad things began to take place. Ultimately, it was because Israel was unfaithful. See, Israel's main heart issue was infidelity. The bride of God had another lover. Like a prostitute, she had forsaken her covenant with God and she had known another. Israel had lost intimacy and love and a true knowledge of God. Therefore, the book of Hosea is a book of judgment where God disowns, he dispossesses his people and their ruin is sure. But in the midst of this severe judgment comes this in Hosea chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. You see, Verse 1 is a call to repent, return to the Lord. Verse 3 is a call to know Him, to be near Him. But verse 2, right there in the middle, that's the nucleus of the text. See, after two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Now, isn't that language interesting? Isn't it fascinating? God promises a national resuscitation that Israel will be brought back to life. But I have two questions. As I'm reading this passage, I'm trying to understand what it means. I have two questions for us. And let me focus on the first one for a little while. The first question I have is, what are we talking about? 
God says that he will resurrect Israel. But what does that mean? They're not dead. They're, they're not in graves. Is God talking about a literal nationwide resurrection from tombs in the ground? Well, I don't think so, at least not initially. See, most specifically, God is speaking about something within them. He is talking about a resurrection, or perhaps we could use the word transformation of the heart. Now, how can I say that? Why would I say that? Well, because the context helps us. Look again in verses 1 and 3. Hosea's commands, they're internal, they're spiritual. Verse 1, return to the Lord. Verse 3, let us know, press on to know the Lord. See, God is not talking about corpses out of graves. He's talking about making dead hearts live again. The people are spiritually dead. They have forgotten their Lord. They have shunned his covenant. And so what makes this so devastating is that this, these people, they're, they're God's chosen people. These are God's set-apart, redeemed people. God loved this nation. We, we read in Exodus chapter 4, he calls, them, he calls Israel his son. But this is the stain of sin. Israel failed not simply because they chose to fail, but because they are the sons of Adam. They were inclined to disobedience. Their hearts were identical to those of the hearts of the pagans. This is the human condition. All of us have suffered a spiritual death. All of us are rebellious and unfaithful. Therefore, to live with God, as verse 2 says, in order to stand before him, in order to see him face to face, a resurrection of the heart must take place. Thus, God has a plan. We see a glimpse into that plan in Hosea chapter 6. He has a promise. He will. He guarantees that he will have a people after his own heart. He will cause these people to rise from the dead. In the New Testament, the, the phrase changes a little bit, but the meaning remains that God is promising that he will cause his people to be born again. To be born again is to be born a second time, to be resurrected, to be brought back to life, to be regenerated. That's the promise. That's the hope. That's the power of Hosea chapter 6. But don't miss this. Don't miss what we're even talking about here. God is promising. See, if they're dead, that means they're rebels. If they're dead, that means they're unfaithful. But what God is saying in Hosea chapter 6 is that this rebellion is not going to last forever. Filth will not win the day. Sin will not survive. The people of God will not forever be faithless. They will not always be empty. We will be a raised up and renewed people. We will be a repentant people. We will be healed. We will be a people that know the Lord. We will know him in ways that we don't even know our spouses. He will be our all in all in all. He will be our everything. That is the promise of Hosea. And so what does that mean, we're asking? That's that first question. What does it mean that he's going to resurrect, that he's going to, that he's going to revive a people? Well, you see this in your notes. God promises to spiritually resurrect his people. God promises to spiritually resurrect his people. But there's a second question, and perhaps it's a more important one. How? How's God going to do this? How's God going to, to make true, make good on this promise how will God accomplish this spiritual resurrection? See, all of these wonderful things are promised to us, but how will they come to be? 
How will God overcome the deadness of Israel? And not only Israel's death, but if I could fast forward to the New Testament, our death, your death, my spiritual death. And here's the immediate answer. Hosea doesn't tell us. He doesn't give us an answer. You see, in fact, none of the prophets do. They tell us what's going to happen, but they don't tell us how it's going to happen. They don't tell us the method, the means by which God will resurrect his people. In fact, we leave the Old Testament without a renewed people. We leave the Old Testament with an unregenerated Israel. We leave with an unresurrected people. But that's where our scriptures come in, into play. Jesus Christ, he breaks onto the scene and he begins his ministry, early on in his ministry, speaking much like the prophets did. John chapter 3, you see this in your notes. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless one is born again, there's resurrection language, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So Jesus is much like the prophets right here in John chapter 3. He says that you have to be born again. You have to be resurrected. And he tells us that it has to be a work of the Spirit that matches Ezekiel. It has to be a work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God, as promised in the Old Testament, must be the one who does this. But then, he overcomes the prophets. He rises above them. He elevates himself above the prophets. And he does something that no one else had ever done before. What he does next, and what he says next, no one could have expected, and no one at the time could have accepted. Mark 8, 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He says the same thing in Mark 9. He says the same thing again in Mark 10. Did you catch it? This would be such an explosive statement. Jesus is using the same words that Hosea did. Hosea 6.2, on the third day, he will raise them up. Jesus says here in Mark 8.31 that he, that he will rise on the third day. But he turns away, doesn't he? He turns away from Hosea. Jesus does not say in Mark 8 that Israel will be resurrected on the third day, but rather that he will be resurrected, that he will rise on the third day. See, at first, the disciples completely miss it. Peter even rebukes him for saying this. But when Christ, as, years, as a couple years went by, when Christ gave them his spirit, when they had true knowledge, when they fully understood what was happening, they, it clicked. And by the time Paul writes 1 Corinthians, the apostles see a clear connection between Jesus' third day resurrection and God's promise in Hosea chapter 6 to raise up his people on the third day. So how does it fit together? How do we, how do we fit together the, the, the promise of Hosea chapter 6 and the prophecy of Christ about himself in places like Mark 8 and others? How do we fit it together? We well, see this in your notes. There's kind of a bridge. And the New Testament gives us a bridge from one covenant to the next, from the old covenant to the new covenant. The bridge is this, that the risen Jesus is the fulfillment of, of risen Israel. Okay, you really have to come in and listen in for the next few moments because we're going to go and dive, we're going to drill deep and fast. The risen Jesus is the fulfillment of the risen Israel. 
Jesus is saying this, and Paul reinforced it already in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel. I am the fulfillment of Hosea 6. I am the resurrection and the life, John chapter 11. Jesus is life. He is the resurrection of God's people. See, as the true Adam, as the prophet that is greater than Moses, as the son of David, as the true Israel, Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises for spiritual resurrection. And if we had more time, we'd show that he is also the, the fulfillment for a physical resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15. See, Jesus became what Israel was intended to be. Jesus alive on a third day is Israel alive on a third day. Jesus is Hosea 6 in its fullness. But, wait a minute. Maybe you're thinking like this. If Christ completes all that Israel was intended to be, what happens to Israel? What happens to the people of God? Is God's resurrection promise to Israel done? Is it canceled? Well, no. No, not at all. Actually, Hosea gives us a clue, a seed, just an instant, an instant of what, how all of this comes together, how all of this makes sense. In Hosea chapter 1, verse 10, he reminds us of some familiar language in the Old Testament. He says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. See, God says that Israel, through, through his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says that Israel will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And yet Israel will also be, according to Hosea chapter 1, Israel is also going to be a people who used to not be God's people, but now they are God's people. So that somehow Israel has a group of people that are grafted in. They are taken into and made Israel. God is speaking about a future people, a new Israel, not known for their ethnicity, not known for their circumcision, but known by their faith. They are a people who are known by their faith. And guess what? That's us. That is the New Testament church. That is the people of God. We are the new Israel by faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the most compelling arguments that we can find in the scriptures here is Romans 9, 10, and 11. So as Jesus fulfills Hosea 6... I participate as one of the members of new Israel by faith. His work of, of the resurrection becomes my work and my resurrection. And so here is our answer. Our, the second question we're asking is how, God? What are, what's the means by which you're going to do this? How are you going to pull this off? How are you going to raise up the people of Israel? What's well, through Jesus Christ. And so let me say it like this. You see this in your notes. Christ's resurrection enables new Israel's resurrection. Christ's resurrection enables Israel's resurrection. Or we can say it like this, Christ's resurrection enables us, our resurrection. We are resurrected in Christ. Hosea 6, I've said it so many times, is fulfilled in Christ. Amen, amen, amen. And because of our union to Jesus, we are also raised to life. Christians, listen. 
if Christ didn't rise from the dead, neither would you. If Christ did not get up out of the grave, we would still be in ours. God revives a people for his name through the death and the resurrection of his own son. Jesus says so much, uh, in, in, uh, but even before the cross, in John chapter 14, verse 19, he says, Because I live, he's talking to the disciples, because I live, you also will live. Because of the power of the life in the risen Christ, the people of Christ, the new Israel, comes to life. See, everything Christ accomplished has been applied to me, to you, has been applied to us because we are united to him by faith. What an important word for us, faith. See, the glue of faith, this this ultimate relinquishment, trust in the effective work of Jesus Christ, that Christ makes me righteous by his work and his cross and his cross alone, that, that ultimate, that throwing, that thrusting of everything upon Christ, that trust, that faith, that faith, that glue attaches me to him. When Christ died, I died by faith. When Christ was buried, you were buried with him. And when Christ rose, we rose by faith. When Christ conquered death and sin on the cross and in an empty grave, he conquered that, that sin and that death in us. Because Christ is alive, I am alive. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. For those who believe, for those who place their trust in Jesus, we are attached to the vine of the risen Lord. His life is my life. His power is your power. We are one with God the Son by the Spirit according to the faith that we have. That is the fulfillment of Hosea 6. Christ raised up on the third day, and by our union to him, we also have been raised with Christ. We, as attached to the vine of Jesus Christ by the fulfillment, alongside Christ in Hosea chapter 6. Okay, so that's the full, that's the big picture truth of Hosea 6. Our resurrection is fulfilled by Christ, in Christ. Now, with this in mind, what does Hosea 6 have left for us? What does Hosea 6 teach us about this resurrected life? What's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? What's it going to sound like? What can we glean from the, these verses? We've only looked at verse 2. And so I want us to go back to Hosea 6 now. Now, now that we understand that Christ has fulfilled, that it was foretold ages, 800 years before Christ, that it was foretold that he would be the one who fulfills this right now. What does it look like for us now? Well, he calls he starts by calling the people. He says in verse 1, Come, let us return to the Lord. This lays a foundation. This lays a foundation for our understanding of salvation. You see this in your notes. This is kind of now the fallout of our resurrected life. This is the first one. The initial sign of heart resurrection is a return to God. The initial sign of heart resurrection is a return to God. Repentance is the fruit of regeneration. 
When we are resurrected, we repent. How do I know? How do I know that God has raised up a woman or raised up a man to new life? Well, the first sign, the first answer, the immediate answer is that they have repented. They feel the ruin of their sin. To use the language of Hosea 6, 1, they feel torn by their rebellion against a holy God. They are struck by their failure to keep his commands. See, but this brokenness, this brokenness leads to a sweet, sweet healing. In fact, this is always the way of God. This is what we can trust about the character of our God. He strikes us with the horror of our sin so that, in order that, it might drive us to the sweet freedom found in Christ. He wounds the soul. Yes, he does. But for the purpose of healing the soul. He strikes us so that, we might, that he might bring us a healing grace. So if you're listening to this, and you're like, what is this weirdo talking about? Perhaps you know this. Perhaps you can feel the dread of your sin. Perhaps you, can, you, you know the reality of your sin and the distance, the space, the condemnation, the judgment that it creates between you and a holy, living God. What do you do? What do you do about that? Do you run from it? Do you ignore it? Or do you turn and do you face it? Do you see your sin for what it is and then look to your only solace in life? your only comfort, your only hope in this life, and that is the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I know someone is a Christian. I know someone has a resurrected heart. I know someone has been born again because they have repented of their sins. Meanwhile, let's not miss the the tone of this verse. It's gentle. It's kind. What a tender invitation. Can you feel the heart of God in this verse? God is not, he's not just providing some bland opportunity to return. He's He's cherishing their return. And you see this in your notes, and I think this is really important for us. God cherishes the repentance of his people. Oh, how pleasing it is. How precious it is when we return to our God. This goes for repentance uh, for the first time or repentance for the hundredth time. Let it be known that God loves repentance. Isaiah 66 verse 2 says this, that this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God is looking for a contrite people, a repentant people, a people who will tremble. Don't forget what he's done for you. Don't miss what he has done to secure you as one of his sheep, as as one of those who are a part of his people. See, Hosea, he speaks of a time when God tore Israel like a lion, just really graphic words, that he struck Israel with a sword. But I want to connect this back to the big picture. Even that, even those punishments, those severe judgments of God toward the people, even those were ultimately fulfilled in Christ. See, exile to Assyria. Assyria. That's a cool breeze compared to the excruciating wrath that our sweet Savior endured on our behalf. Christ was torn so that we might be healed. Christ was struck so that he might bind our wounds. Christ took the punishment and we received the healing. What a story. What a story. What a wonderful truth. The great exchange. The holy one for the unholy ones. The clean ones. The clean one for the dirty ones. 
This is the truth. This is the gospel that Christ has done it all for us. And so verse 1 is such a wonderful reminder for us that the initial sign of heart resurrection is a return to God, a return that this God cherishes with all of his heart. But verse 3, the other side, shows us something more. Verse 3 says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come out to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So this verse teaches us two brief things. Number one, the prevailing sign of heart resurrection is a hunger for God. Okay, so the initial sign is repentance. The initial sign of heart resurrection is a return. But the prevailing sign now, the ongoing, the never stopping sign of someone whose heart has been raised from the dead is a hunger for God. That is what Hosea 6.3 teaches us. See, God raised his son so that you and me, that we would crave him like no other. Jesus got out of the grave so that we could have hearts that desire none more than him. See, one of the major goals of the resurrection is a passionate pursuit of the presence of God in the resurrected life of his saints. God raised up his son so that we would shout, God, I want you. I finally want you more than anyone or anything else. God raised up his son and he raised up his church so that we might be quite familiar with his presence, so that the eyes of our heart would see his radiant face and it would give us joy. God, the son, died and rose so that we would simply say and sacrificially live according to this statement that God, I love you. I know you. I want you. You are my greatest prize. You are, the, you are my pearl of great price. You are my treasure hidden in a field. You see, brothers and sisters, don't stop with doctrine. Don't stop with intellectualism. Don't pray so that others will be impressed with you. Don't get up early to, just to prove your holiness. Don't give or serve to pat yourself on the back. No, we do these things because Jesus is the bread of life. He satisfies us. We do these things because God is precious to us. Do these things because you want to feast on the abundance of his house. Do these things because you long to drink from the rivers of his delight. See, the prayer of a resurrected heart, we could borrow it from Isaiah 51, verse 3. The Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, like her desert, like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. We're praying, oh God, make the dry places of my heart like a garden. Give me joy. Give me gladness in you and you only. Consume me, overwhelm me to the point of singing praise. See, long after God, church, long after him, want him, pant for him. Press on to know him, pursue him without measure. Chase the Lord, draw near to our King, the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ secured this opportunity for us to be near him. May the two most regular things that we say to one another be, Christ is Lord. And I am hungry for him more than ever.
And church, lastly, we can be confident that this will happen. The second thing that this, that, that verse three teaches us is, is this, that God's nearness is a promise. God's nearness is a promise. Hosea reassures the people. God's presence is as guaranteed as the dawn, it says. It's as guaranteed as the spring rains. You know how often the dawn comes? Every single day. And the spring rain comes predictably every year. We can count on those things. And so the illustration, the metaphor is that we can count on a God who comes to his people. And what's, what's our dawn? What's our spring rain? How do we know that without the shadow of a doubt? How can, we, how can we say it with confidence that our God will come to us? That he will visit us? Because he's already visited us. He's already come. Zechariah 9 tells us this. That there was a king that came already to Jerusalem. A king righteous and having salvation in his hand. A king humble and mounted on a donkey. A king humiliated on a cross. A king who overran the grave. When we wonder if God will help us, if we, when we wonder if he will visit us, if we wonder if he will be near us, we look no further than the bloody cross and the empty grave. Brothers and sisters, we have a gospel. We have a message. Jesus Christ was raised up on the third day. And by faith, we were raised up with him. And we can repent of our sins. And we can draw near him. And we can be hungry for him like nothing else that this world offers. Is that you? Is that me? When will we come to that place? I pray that it is now. Prepare your heart during this Easter season. Repent. Draw near. Trust in him. Let's press on to know. Let's press on to experience. Let's press on to taste the goodness of the Lord. God, thank you for your word. I pray for understanding. I pray for application. I pray for obedience. As pastors, we love this church. We care for them and we want to serve them and we want to be served by them. God, as a resurrected people, Prepare our hearts. Make us hungry for you, God. Make us hungry for you again. Make us a church of prayer. Make us a church that fights for what matters. Make us a church of discipline. Spiritual discipline where we, we will sacrifice to be in the presence of God. Because it's available. You've made it available. Please do this, God. In Christ's name. Amen.